0: <laughs>
1: hey guys, it looks like there's plenty of uh, sausage and biscuits so over there. To chocolate milk see. we oh, I think we're ready to get started. Okay, and you and Kim. I'm really excited to have John here and Michael. The reason I'm excited, excited. is because of the fact that. Jonathan and Christina, before they were married, would come out at the youth group out at our house and fish. And Christina actually was a better fisherman than Jonathan. And she would catch some fish and she would kind of rub it in. And uh, that's what I kind of knew. There was a little blossoming romance going on there. So uh, I've known them for a long time. It's exciting to see how God has used him. The last 10 years. Jonathan has worked for the Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs. He's worked his way up to the president of that. And um, he co-authored a book called Economics 101. And the only reason I would read that particular book is because he is a certified public accountant. I remember him going to school and working through that. Uh, (coughs) Jonathan, have you gone to Africa with us once or twice? Twice. That's what I thought, okay. helped us out quite a bit there and uh, I think one of the things that that he gets a lot of uh, press about especially from the uh, more liberal is because he promotes Christian thoughts as far as fiscal uh, responsibility and uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited to hear what he's going to say so give him your undivided attention And, Jonathan, Mm -hmm. come on up. Thank you guys for having me today. And he married Christina, (laughs) Tudor, which is probably his greatest accomplishment. (laughs) And he has... Uh, four, four girls, girls, and one on yes, the, way. Another girl right All the way. way. All right. Okay. Yes. No, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> uh,
2: so if if you don't mind, I'm gonna pray for myself because I want to make sure that I share what uh, share what uh, we want God to speak to us today. Father God, we thank you for who you are and that you're in control. You're not caught by. Surprise about anything that is going on today, uh, and you have a plan to deal with that. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come uh, to us right now and convict us. Lord, may we both exchange words that glorify you and reveal a way to bring life and flourishing to others. And just pray that uh, my words would be. Beneficial in your words, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, so, first of all, I think that I couldn't start by saying I know that for a lot of you, discipleship has been important, and particularly for men, uh, men desperately need to be sharpened by others, and so. Um, I wouldn't be able to be here today if it weren't for several men in this room who took the time to disciple me when I was even younger than you were. Uh, I collectively, between uh, Greg Werner, Ben Manis, and Jerry Wells' homes and their lives, they put hours and hours and hours of sharpening uh, in my life and so, A lot of what I've been able to do in life has been because they invested uh, in my life and they sacrificed uh, other pursuits. And so I encourage you to do that. It does have an impact. I want to talk about today, my topic is identity matters. Uh, Hope that that topic isn't confusing. I think uh, you'll probably be able to get where we're headed. a couple times I'm going to read things because I think that's better for me to read it, and a couple times I obviously speak without reading. But when we think about identity, basically since humans were created, humans have struggled with what I call identity matters. In my life, the lives of men who have disciplined me, in my family and friends, through my study of humans since the beginning, in my study of God's word, and in my career. I found that the struggle and struggles with identity and how people identify are the most crucial. Today I wanna talk about identity matters, but I wanna go to the only source who can provide the solutions that we are looking for. Uh, If you look at Webster's Dictionary and its definition of identity, it says the distinguishing character or personality of an individual individuality Um, what are things people look to to determine their identity just give me some ideas their job job status status Status. those are good things race right race nationality nationality family income ability yep ability needs desires government i'll talk about that but first i want to talk about my experience with identity and to talk about my experience with identity, I have to talk about someone uh, who never had been to Western Hills, who most of you don't know. I think uh, I think Brandon and Greg and Ben and Jerry have heard me mention this person before. But my great grandmother Small, uh, she was abandoned by her husband, uh, and she. Uh, use the term that they use, got saved early in life and she gave her life to Christ and then she spent the rest of her life trying to help the multiple children that she had had that she had been abandoned by her husband to choose Christ as well my grandfather who d- died in February of 2019 uh, after realizing that his identity had been found in things other than Christ Uh, gave his life to Christ because of my grandmother, -grandmother. great-grandmother. My grandfather, Shaughnessy Small, became a pastor and he had seven boys, one of those being Jonathan Small, not me, Jonathan Small the first. And Jonathan Small, my dad, became a believer uh, because my my great-grandmother and my grandfather put their identity in Christ. My dad was blessed to have four kids, uh, one of them uh, standing before you today. Uh, I am a Christ follower because of primarily first the relationship that my father had with Christ. Uh, You heard it mentioned I've got four four kids out of the womb, one on the way. Uh, Two of our children have expressed a faith and following in Christ and a third one is now uh, thinking about it. Uh, So, if you think about that, that's five generations that have chosen a biblical heritage because of the decision of one person that you'll never meet. uh, Someone who had a much tougher life than uh, any of us have had. But the most important thing thing to my great-grandmother was not whether or not she participated in sit-ins or whether or not uh, she was treated like she should have been treated. But it's that she wanted to make sure that when she made it to eternity that my grandfather was there. And because of that, um, I'm here today. Uh, Wanted to talk about something, if you guys could help me. I think I see phones. Uh, There's kind of five verses that help me form. Uh, my identity that I constantly heard growing up uh, somebody could find proverbs 3 five and six I got it okay thanks Jonathan can uh, somebody find Romans 12 1 through 2 yes sir you got it someone find John 8 31 through 32 thanks Justin someone find second Timothy 316. And thanks, Greg. And then someone find Matthew six thirty three. Yeah. Thanks. Chapter three. You got the, the dangers wait. of all the last day. <laughs> Uh who has Proverbs three, five, and six? Jonathan, can
3: you read that one? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Uh
0: who's got Romans twelve, one through two? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal
3: of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will
2: of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will. Thank you. Who's got Second
4: Timothy three sixteen? got it. Yes. All Scripture is inspired by God, and is useful to teach us. What is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, it corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Thank you.
0: And then I think over here we got Matthew six thirty three. To seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to it.
2: So those five passages were passages that I heard repeatedly at Western Hills Church growing up. Uh, I, my uh, grandparents on my mom's side and my dad's side in birthday cards and Christmas cards they would send us with money in those cards would be written the verse Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 um, I heard over and over and over, in fact my dad created a tune, I'm not going to sing it for you uh, for Romans 12, 1 through 2 um, so I heard those verses over and over and over uh, from behind the pulpit and the sanctuary across the hall, and I heard those verses in Greg Warner's home when Brandon was probably six, maybe. Um, those verses have been life-giving uh, to me, and they helped form identity. Okay, I want to start moving quick because I want to be able to allow times for questions. Uh, but what is humankind's basic identity? And I think I want to try to prove to you why I think identity is, at, is what's at issue today and some of the most recent things we're seeking. Um, Genesis 1.26 tells us that God said, let us make man in our own image. So the original plan for man was that he would be the image bearer of God. That's right. In Genesis 1, 26, we don't find any verses about what Adam looks like outside or how God intends for Adam's skin to look or even whether or not Adam is going to be a perfectly chiseled um, guy. (laughs) Hopefully, he probably was because he was perfect. But none of that's there. We just find that God says that, let us make man in our own image. If you think about the first three chapters of Genesis, I think it's quite ironic that from day one, humankind struggles with where his identity is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting what the serpent brings to eve the serpent brings to eve a challenge to her identity he asks eve to ask for more than the identity that god has given her Um, it's represented in a fruit there's lots of you know and all the pictures we've seen it sort of kind of looks like an apple the bible doesn't say it's an apple but uh, the fruit just represents the struggle for mankind between choosing god's identity and what they're interested in so we obviously know what happens the fall takes place and it's like exponentially the challenges for man and women humankind and their struggle between the original plan for god to identify and then and him versus other things is what mankind struggles with for the rest of the time. Um, As we think about issues that are going on today, uh, today we're talking a lot, there's a lot of conversation that's being discussed about race. One of the things that I wanna share though, if we understand human history, and you look back at human history
0: <clears throat>
2: and you study what humans have done to other humans, we've all sinned. If you study human history, what you should come away with is that, um, generally, man is evil and absent a savior, humankind is bent on destruction of itself and others, mm-hmm. whether they look like themselves or not. Um. And so, part of the reason why I said I wanted to start this conversation today is there's a temptation going on in today's world to try to solve. Today, we're talking about race with the world's methods for reconciliation. But it's impossible because racism is in scripture. It's described as the sin of partiality. Uh, Today we're talking about the sin of partiality as it relates to uh, blacks and whites that live in America. But if you read the Bible, uh, the sin of partiality is not new. And it's not unique to the United States of America. In fact, we find that one of the most famous parables that Jesus tells in the parable of the Good Samaritan, you want to know what's powerful about the Good Samaritan, So you remember some of the power structure that's going on at the time. Jews saw themselves as much higher than Samaritans. And generally the culture kind of sort of thought they were. So when Jesus is asked, who is my neighbor? Here's what's powerful about what Jesus does. Not only does he tell a story of someone mistreated who... Then cares for a group that mistreats him. Jesus actually uses the minority group yeah. to demonstrate that. So Jesus doesn't propose that the minority group exact rightfully what was taken from it or wrongly. Right. He literally actually paints a picture <clears throat> that those who were mistreated now get to be in an, an ability to Help others. Um, just wanted to talk about a couple of solutions, and I'm going to open it for questions. Um, I apologize. There's seven things. This is what I. This is what I could shrink it down to. Um, I'm calling it solutions for America's past and the future. So I start with, and you heard a lot about my history and my heritage. I. I was regularly challenged, I was daily challenged, to place my identity in Christ. It's funny, I had to text my dad and my uncle uh, because in preparing for this conversation and some other conversations I was asking, I said, okay, Dad, what term am I supposed to use, black or African American, (laughs) because I'm not sure which one is the correct one. That's how much it was drilled in me by my parents that my identity was supposed to be found in Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus says that a man <coughs> is supposed to deny himself, pick up his cross and follow him. You know, when we look at what himself means, that means everything about him. Uh, so uh, Pastor Jerry and Greg can tell you that, so there's other things about me other than just my external race and Christina they can tell you that one of the major things about me in high school was basketball. Uh, I I did, and several of my other friends that went to Western Hills, one of the things that we struggled with with our identity was trying to find too much identity in basketball. And we had people from both races going to church here who had that struggle. Um, and so for me, when you're talking about solutions for America's past and the future, Christ's followers, no matter who they are, must be about finding their identity in Christ alone. I get that from Galatians 3.28. Second, I think that we need to cry out to God to reveal sin in us, no matter what kind it is. Then go to war against it in the manner God has encouraged us to, mm-hmm. and especially for men, that's through discipleship. Mm-hmm. Right. One of the top ways for you to war against the sin that we all inherited from Adam and Eve is through discipleship. For men, that's one of the top ways that you war against the flesh, and you bring your flesh into submission to God's plan. I do think it's important, the Bible tells us when uh, we are trying to reconcile with each, each other is that we need to acknowledge our sins, um, ask God to search our hearts and so we can know where we have maybe committed the sin of partiality <clears throat> or maybe uh, when we've been in a place where our employer, we haven't given our employer all the time that we should have given him. Yeah. Um, I do think it's important for us to acknowledge those sins in an appropriate way But I also think it's very important for us to not be subjective. Uh, I want to be a little bit, I want to be really honest and candid with you um, about kind of my experience. Um, So my experience, largely because of how I was raised and the heritage I have, um, I remember my parents daily seeking, especially Romans 12, one through two, which is how we ever ended up at Western Hills. Uh, Western Hills did not have a significant presence of African Americans or blacks, Uh, but my parents had something in common, which was they were seeking homeschooling so they could form the biblical worldview of their children. And they became aware of other families that were doing that. Homeschooling was the mechanism in which they could try to reproduce image bearers in their own home, and that's what attract that's what attracted them to uh, Western Hills, regardless of the demographics that were in Western Hills. What they were searching for was the truth of God's word and how to appoint that, uh, portion that to their children. Uh, and so that leads me into the fourth point: is that If we wanna have any hope of making better the struggle against the war in the flesh that's going on, and I'm just gonna talk about the United States of America, we have to turn to God's plan for flourishing for ourselves and others. Um, There's gonna be a temptation to try to solve some of the challenges and the wrongs and injustices that have happened by looking to man's methods. they're going to fall short, and uh, they're going to disappoint. And if you look at mankind and human history, if by chance we are able to solve the disagreements between races, uh, given the sin of partiality, I don't think that's going to get solved until Jesus comes back. But knowing how failed humans are, if we start treating everyone the way they wanted to be treated as it relates to race in the United States of America, we'll find another way to not be image bearers, just based on human's history. Uh, so I think it's really important that we turn to God's plan for flourishing for ourselves and others. So what do I mean by that God's plan? Um, and I want to say this to be an encouragement to us to help others Get on the path of God's plan. This isn't for the purpose of if any of us are on a track that's not working out the right way or didn't go the right way, um, Jesus is the great Redeemer. Uh, You've got people in this room. I know that um, Pastor Jerry's uh, testimony, his family formation was not the family formation that uh, he wanted to pass on to his kids. Uh, But God used that in order to put him in the position to provide that for his children. So some things that are really important, if you look at what the scripture says about men and what's supposed to happen with men and how I think that we can address some of the challenges today is that something really important how things should work. Let me just say this quickly so we can get on to some of the more practical things. Uh, The Bible, there's a verse that was kind of the honorable mention, would have been number six. Uh, It's a verse that I and my sisters heard often from my father. And that is, if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. Uh, We heard that before dinner, when chores weren't. Uh, I also heard that in middle school, when I wanted to purchase a cool pair of jeans. Um, That was my father's uh, response. And um, so work is really important. Mm-mm. I can remember one of the formative conversations in discipleship with my dad, and, and this would happen numerous times. He would remind me that work actually existed before the fall. Mm-hmm. So God sends us the pattern. Part of being image bearers is that we're to work, especially men. If you have the ability to work, you're supposed to find a way to work. Uh, God's example is he does it six days out of seven. Um, but work is not a bad thing. And in fact, if structures get designed to demonize work, that's actually the exact opposite of God's plan. A right. uh, couple of things. It, we should not be surprised that if you follow biblical principles, even in the United States of America, your life can tend to be better for you. Um, I can mention several of my aunts and uncles uh, who did their best to provide to me some of that image. How's God say family's supposed to work? Well, the first place where family's supposed to work, especially for men, is you're supposed to gain a skill that can be uh, that can be even if you haven't completed high school. So you gain a skill, then you commit yourself to work. Then you get married, you stay married, then have kids. There's a fascinating thing about that plan. In the United States of America, when you do those things in that order, depending on the year when the statistics are looked at, Anywhere between 75 and 90% of Americans never live in poverty when you do things in that order. Um, And so I I don't say that to disparage demographics that haven't been able to embrace that plan. In fact, I say that as a challenge to us as the church. We actually have the plan and the roadmap to promote flourishing in Americans. Uh, and you got to do those things in that order. Um, I've, I've enjoyed reading along with you. Uh, so this is Ben. We're supposed to be transparent. I'm behind you. But I'm still following along with you. Uh, if you want to understand the depravity of man, read the Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, we should all thank God that he didn't just quit after, <coughs> uh, Amen. before he put Saul in place. That's right. uh, I mean, because, if so the Jews, I mean, they actually had the law. Mm-hmm. and they were horrible to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon and I talked about, I, the way Judges ends is fascinating. Oh. Basically, the <clears throat> 11 tribes nearly wipe out the tribe of Benjamin. Um, and so so if you have any, any ideas, just look at the Old Testament, how family formation doesn't work well. Uh, it's fascinating reading about David. Um, no one should be surprised that David's life is a wreck. Uh, Because I I got reminded on the treadmill last night that David had like six wives. That's like the plan for family destruction, by Mm. the way. We shouldn't be surprised that there was one, Adam and Eve, not multiple others. That's God's plan for family uh, formation. Um, And I want to make sure that I don't belittle uh, history in the United States of America. It is clear that slavery was a part of this continent. And what's fascinating, if you look at history, uh, yes, whites had blacks as slaves, but we also know that Native Americans had each other as slaves as well, even before any of the rest of us arrived here. Again, testament to the depravity and evilness of man and that absent a savior, uh, we're all just spinning around. Spinning around. But the fact of the matter is that for centuries in the United States of America, uh, those that were in the majority that happened to be whites used that majority power to disadvantage those who were in a minority status. Um, So that does contribute to some of the things that we're seeing today. Mm -hmm. Uh, But again, God's call for reconciliation, both to those who are hurt and those that have done the hurting, is to acknowledge all the sin that exists in their lives so that God can bring about reconciliation. Uh, I want to stop so you guys can have some questions. So if you're thinking about a couple of solutions, so for one, um, education reform. uh, The statistics for particularly the most vulnerable and uh, minorities in our K through 12 public school system are abysmal. Um, If you ever hope, so in the United States of America and our economy, uh, the way you gain income is by some form of education. Remember I talked about the keys and you getting some sort of skill. Uh, I think the primary way to achieve that, uh, there's a lot of research that supports this, but allowing parents and families to choose the school that best fits the needs of their child. Um, regardless of their address. Uh, You heard it talked about uh, my uh, fellow Christ followers who are union members avidly disagree with me. Uh, In fact, me saying that probably makes them wonder if I'm still a Christ follower. Um, But when you look at the examples of minority children who are given the opportunity to choose a school that better meets their needs, the vast majority of the time it massively improves their lives and the lives of their future kids. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Reforms in higher education and vocation, our higher education system needs to be a lot more honest with young people about what degree fields will result in work or work available work and what won't. Mm -hmm. Um, Women's and gender studies is not a highly employed industry. Uh, Neither is African American studies. but engineering and accounting and those kinds of things are. In order for people to be in a place to take engineering and accounting and some of uh, some of the fields that lead to flourishing, they have to have had a K through 12 education, so they can actually sit and understand what's going on in those classes. So education reform is important. I think criminal justice reform. Um, you know, this is a Bible study. I don't want to go on. If you want to, under- uh, what's fascinating is I got my view on politics and government because of my parents' biblical worldview. Um, I remember being homeschooled and reading about the story of Saul. Uh, Part of the reason I promote limited government is because of 2 Samuel 8. If you have a chance, I encourage you to go read 2 Samuel 8. What happens in 2 Samuel 8? (coughs) The tribes of Israel spurn God They spurn the system of judges that they have. They spurn the image God gives them. And then they say to God, give us a king like the others. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating what God tells Samuel to tell the Israelites that will Mm -hmm. uh, happen to them. It's actually one of the greatest uh, political theories you're ever gonna read. Um, God tells Samuel to tell the Israelites if you have a king, that king is going to take the first fruits of your increase. Mm-hmm. What was the significance of that? He was telling his, because at that time, there was only one person that took the first fruits of their increase, that was God. Mm-hmm. He said, government's gonna put itself on the level of God, then what's government gonna do? Government's then gonna take your daughters to be his concubines and to serve in his house. Gonna take your men to serve in his wars. Um, so, and I started to get really passionate about this. Uh, so." Uh, Part of the reason I promote limited government is because I understand the depravity of man and what man tends to do when he gets power over others and throughout human history is not very good. That's part of the reasons why at OCPA we support criminal justice reform. um, The proliferation of laws, Uh, fascinating. I don't agree with all of it, but you've probably seen on Facebook uh, the creators of VeggieTales, he goes through the study of laws that were created in the history of the United States that disadvantaged minorities. Um, the greatest weapon against minorities or the minority viewpoint through most of history, either through religious persecution or through persecution of minorities, is generally done at the hand and hammer of government. Um, Many of the laws that created some of the problems that you're talking, that people are talking about with systemic racism, it was only made possible by the hammer of government. Yeah. Jim Crow laws, uh, sundown laws, where anybody not white had to be in by dark. Most of the things that we have existing today, redlining laws, um, fascinating. Uh, so. Blacks were discriminated against and they weren't allowed to get jobs. And so then they had vagrancy laws, which said, hey, if you didn't get a job, you're gonna then get arrested and then put into forced labor. Um, Those were all done at the hands of government. And so for us, it starts with uh, reducing laws. Um, Fascinating thing that's not getting a lot of coverage right now. Um, You've heard about the story of Michael Brown um, in Ferguson when I talked about, it's not getting talked about. So the Obama administration looked into that story, and they found that it was actually a myth, and that's not, that's not wasn't focused. But you need to go back and look at the story. Michael Brown didn't actually ever have his hands up. He did actually um, assault and come after the police officer after assaulting and stealing a store. And the Obama administration looks into the Michael Brown story, and they're looking to find racism in the police officer. They report in the Department of Justice report, there actually wasn't any racism. He did the exact thing that an officer was supposed to do if someone comes and takes their gun, especially someone who has is so high on some sort of drug um, and they're six foot six and they're 300 pounds and they're twice his size coming to take his gun. What they point out though, is that what was going on in Ferguson is that the city of Ferguson, the government, was treating its citizens, particularly minorities, as toll collectors for very small infractions like violations of renewing the inspection on your car or a tail light out. Those are the kinds of ridiculous laws that are not worth sending armed police officers after someone. So at OCPA, we promote really looking at and decriminalizing things that, for the most part, don't protect other people, but they are ways for government to generate revenue on its citizens. Um, policing. I do think there's a challenge in policing um, that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. But what's fascinating, it's not the majority of police officers. Uh, and this is what really gets me crosswise with my union brother. And um, it's actually the existence of government unions. Uh, imagine a world uh, I don't know if many of you do you know uh, any of you here know Janie Martin so we a lot of the young people grew up knowing Janie Martin uh, and J- Janie got along with a lot of us really well um, Janie represented the good that Western Hills was supposed to provide but for those of you that work somewhere or have had the opportunity to be over others imagine an environment where you had an employee who was not like Janie Martin but treated a certain segment of people. Let's say this person was the opposite of Jamie and they hated young people. And anytime they came in the door, they mistreated them. Imagine an environment where in Western Hills Church could not either reassign or release to industry is a word we like to use in our office. Some people (laughs) would say fire. Someone who didn't treat others kindly. That's what's going on in our government workforce today. Uh, you've heard a lot about the story of George Floyd. You're starting to hear now about the fact that the police officer that knelt on George Floyd's neck had multiple violations. Mm-hmm. Under a traditional working environment, George Floyd would still be alive today because that police officer would have been fired after the first right. infraction. Right. Um, the Minneapolis police, office, uh, police chief is on record as saying These are his words, and I quote. He said, there is nothing more debilitating than dealing with the union when I have a police officer who I need to get off the force. Uh, And so um, I wrote wrote a column called, uh, or op-ed, called Government and Government Unions Killed George Floyd. In that column, I specifically mentioned the names of both African-Americans and Caucasians who have been the victims of excessive use of force. And again, I wanna stress that the majority of police do not commit themselves to excessive use of force. I will say though that the power struggle of government and in making us all bow and subdue, combined with the ability that those individuals can carry guns and tasers, it's even more important that you have the right kind of people in those roles Mm -hmm. who view themselves as peace officers and not control us. And you talk to a lot of people, a lot of people can tell you one story in their life of one police officer that they met that didn't treat them well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because they shouldn't be in that field and government should have the people to, the ability to get rid of them. Unions don't allow that right now. Also, the issue of sentencing, uh, OCPA supports state question 805. I think it will get put on the ballot in November. But long story short, Oklahoma has a law that many other states have it's called an enhancement law. And what that law allo- allowed a DA to do is to charge someone who had committed an offense, but that it, but then increase the amount of time that they would spend in prison. Um, At shocker, government employees, DAs are abusing this law. Um, so what's happening is not only are they using this law when it comes to violent criminals, they're also using it when it comes to nonviolent criminals. Uh, We know a story of a lady who uh, working through some things, had some struggles, uh, unfortunately, wasn't exactly doing God's plan for family formation, Uh, had a boyfriend in the home that was engaged in some illegal uh, drug activity. Unfortunately, he leaves the drugs with her. She had a couple of prior minor uh, offenses the DA comes to her and says, hey, you know, this is the third or fourth time, Okay, and, and I think you're trafficking now. Um, so again, nonviolent offense, she's out working. Uh, she, she's broken like the rest of us. The DA comes to her and says, you plead down to three years for this, for these drugs that weren't yours, or if I convict you, you're gonna get 12. Uh, she decides to take her chances, and basically because of a technicality, she gets convicted for 12 years. State Question 805 removes the ability for DAs to use sentence enhancing for nonviolent crimes. Uh, We think that's just, if you look, you know, your pastors here at Western Hills could explain to you uh, the concept of equal punishment that we get from the Old Testament. And if you look at the Old Testament, Confined imprisonment, taking people out of the workforce was not God's plan for how you dealt with people who were drunk. Which by the way, the Bible strongly encourages us to not be drunk, and part of the reason it does is because when we're not, when we're drunk, we don't have control of our faculties. Right. Um, but imprisoning people and locking them up and taking them out of the workforce and then causing all the rest of us to provide for them, that's not God's plan for how we should deal with those. So we we support that. Um, I want to end last with economic reform. That's my seventh one. So if you were listening, so one, Christ followers, no matter who they are, must be about finding their identity in Christ alone. That's Galatians 3.28. Two, we need to cry out to God to reveal sin in us, no matter what kind it is, and then go to war against it in the manner God has encouraged us to, including especially discipleship. Three, acknowledge sins of the past and don't be subjective. Four, turn to God's plan for flourishing for ourselves and others. Five, um, these are policy solutions. Uh, Education reform. We mentioned expanding school choice. Six, criminal justice reform. Uh, As it relates to nonviolent offenses, uh, moving to a system of restorative justice. We see that in scripture. What's Jesus tell Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus jesus doesn't say okay zacchaeus go to the jail he actually says hey zacchaeus you need to pay back four times what you stole from others and economic reform and when i say economic reform um, part of what's going on is that our society is actually demonizing work uh, but god tells us that work is good and there's all kinds of things in scripture about what Work provides for us um, I grew up reading the Proverbs regularly my parents read it to me regularly um, I heard no, they didn't call me this but I heard about the sluggard so many times growing up um, and that's not God's plan and then we heard about the ant growing up and what we're supposed to do and so I think in, when it relates to economic reform for the United States of America we've got to get back to where we encourage work Um, And when we have incentives in place, uh, work is God's plan. Remember, work is God's plan for how we're productive. Work is God's plan for how we share our image bearing with others and lead them to Christ. When that's taken away by government incentivizing not working, that brings about part of the destruction that we're seeing in the United States of America today. So that's why I wanna close with that just by, that's why I feel like identity matters. It all starts back at that with us. I'm happy to take questions. Um, and, I, and I'm probably going to frustrate a lot of people when I talk about this. Because to me, I, I actually, because I care about the most vulnerable, um, I want to actually solve the problem. There's only one person who can solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I want to turn people to find their identity and the person that can truly set them free. Uh, so you can ask me any question. Um, I've been a ro- in a room full of union employees, so you're not going <laughs> to ask me
1: anything or call me anything that I haven't <laughs> been asked or called
2: uh, <laughs> by you. Any questions? I
0: want to save you to talk about your mother yes uh thank you and so repeat
2: the question he uh he said he was going to save me here talk about my mom's influence on my life and so not only did i have the biblical heritage from my father but my mom uh, praise the lord had the same heritage my grandmother we called her dia um, and my grandfather had a commitment to Imparting a biblical worldview and getting their kids to follow Christ. Um, here's how this bore out for my mom. Uh, my mom was so dedicated to my well being first to Christ that she gave up what the world said, which was that um, she should try to have a career because that's how you establish whether or not <coughs> you have value and you're equal as a woman, is that you have to go out and of a career outside the home. And my mom committed herself to stay home so long that she homeschooled uh, all all my sisters and uh, sacrificing a career for more than 30 years. She is now the missions director at CHA. Um, but while my dad was obeying part of the command to him from God to work <coughs> outside the home, my mom was the one that was actually daily bringing us through Proverbs. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting us to form ourselves in the image of God. Uh, My mom was so dedicated to that. uh, She finished high school, but she didn't go to college for a secondary teaching degree. Um, I can remember my mom in the summer going to book and curriculum fairs Mm -hmm. to prepare to teach us the next grade, the next Mm -hmm. year. Uh, And so, um, that's the example that discipleship can provide uh, for us, and where it can put us when we obey God's prompting uh, to do just the next best thing. Thank you. Any question? You can ask me anything that's on your mind. Anything, anything. So, based on
3: what you're saying, there's a lot to take away, but I'm hearing you say some of the most important things that I can do is instill a godly identity in my children um to personally get right with god my sin my struggles um, get honest with other men obviously short of like voting what else can i do as just a guy right in our culture to help change and bring reform
2: you know, I think and this I think this leads for us this leads to a great way. I've heard um, I've heard two pastors recently talk about taking this plan of discipleship. And you guys have all been trained in it. So I, I'd recommend using some of the same skills that your pastors are teaching here, small group leaders are teaching here at crossings. Um, pray about and ask God to bring someone in your life who bears a different external identity than you do. Could be race, could be nationality. And ask God to give you ways where you can engage with someone like that and their family. And empathize with their experience, uh, acknowledge their worth in Christ, um, uh, acknowledge that the only thing that helps you be better is your relationship with Christ and so um, I actually think the plan of biblical discipleship, that's actually the best way to achieve the reconciliation that everyone is looking for. Um, uh, One on one, you going and finding one person. Like you said, absent voting, um, some of that's going to be complicated because both parties aren't really serious right now about about doing what's best. Um, But we all individually can do that. I mean, there's approximately 20 of us here in this room. If you just engaged in one new relationship a year with someone that looked different than you, imagine what you could do over a 30-year career. You know, if each of us over a 30-year career engaged in one new relationship a year with someone that looked different than us, there's approximately 20 of us in here. You're talking about an impact of just this room on 600 people and so that that's what i that's what i would recommend as it relates to trying to reconcile with and empathize with people who have been hurt um, in the past by the actions of others or systems that are in place
3: so so my talking. tendency is to have because i like i'm a visionary so i try to think of well, what i mean by that is i always try to look at kind of top-down mm-hmm. approach and so what you're saying is have a ground up approach right. as as a man i can just disciple and and lead people to the lord and empathize with people and that's the most effective strategy
2: i am um, I, so I, i'll be honest i felt like the lord prompted me to meet with someone who is a hardcore liberal um like when i'm around them uh, I need the Holy Spirit to help my flesh. And this person looks exactly like me. To help my flesh not respond to them. But I'm obeying God's promptings to empathize with their experiences. And then occasionally, where it happens, uh, share where God's plan can lead them in the right direction and give them an identity that they can truly uh, embrace. So, and. This individual is my one for the year. It's that much work. Yes. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, you mentioned
2: uh, criminal justice reform, right? right? And I've heard a lot of terms here recently about you know defunding the police, obviously, right. and I think you also use the term uh, restorative justice. Correct. So the stuff I've heard, you know, from, from <clears throat> people who are pro for
5: uh, defunding the police is okay. We'll get rid of one police officer and then replace it with a drug counselor. Do you see any value in that? Or is that just another one of
2: man's failed attempts at, at, at you know putting in additional rules? Uh, that's a great question. This is where it starts to get harder. I mean, part of the reason why there's so much substance abuse in the United States of America is because people are finding their identity in something other than uh, the living water that can satisfy. Um, and, and I think the answer is gonna be different based on a municipality. So there's going to be some cities where there's enough waste in their existing government. Shocker. Uh, um, that probably was one of my Christ, non-Christ-like responses. Uh, but uh. Use your outside Yes, voice. exactly. Um, but there's some cities where a reallocation of revenues is going to make sense. There's some cities where that's not going to. Um, I think for the church, when we look at this uh, scripture, and I had the benefit of being raised in a church that had this uh, worldview, Western Hills did, is that because of the discipleship that's going on in each individual one of us, particularly in the United States of America, the church actually has the greatest opportunity for change. Um, And so, uh, particularly because I support limited government, I I would rather us find ways to use existing resources and sometimes that means instead of hiring 10 new police officers, you may be hiring 10 mental health workers, just depends on the individual. Um, But again, like you mentioned, I think the whole thing about now, this whole conversation about defund the police, it's an example of where The human response start started going the wrong the wrong direction. Yes, your uh, relationship with the you said liberal left
3: uh, depending on how strongly they are left. How can you see uh, that coming to an actual exchange of thoughts? And I I know you said empathy is going to be a big, but how do you how do you see it playing out to where their heart changes through what your 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 right. interchange there?
2: So the first reason, and this is what I felt like God prompted me to do. Uh, I felt like God saying, so um, my number one responsibility was that if I felt like God was prompting me to be concerned about um, helping him grow in his personal relationship with christ that that's what i needed to reach out and make myself available to do and then if it comes about that there are public policy proposals that we can talk about and agree on we'll agree on those but so and 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 may well i don't think i do um I think if you fully commit yourself to the truth of God's Word, you're going to eventually arrive at things like we should incentivize work, not disincentivize it. We should arrive at the best thing for young people is that beginning at their most formative years, they need to be in an environment where daily their parents and mentors... Are imparting to them a biblical worldview, um, and so I think if you look at Scripture long and you spend enough time, you're eventually going to arrive at, "Hey, it's really good for kids to spend the majority of their time around things in which we're going to raise them in a biblical worldview," and uh, and sometimes that may not, it may not, you know, at the end, um, I'm probably probably not going to change his mind on some things i know he's not going to change my mind on some things um but i will have obeyed god's calling for me about being a part of his spiritual his spiritual growth Mm
0: -hmm. hey jonathan uh, i've got a bunch of young guys in here about starting out raising their families up obviously I was reading an article this week about how certain generations have been raised to hate America. Right. And obviously, that didn't happen with you. Besides right. the fact that you were raised with a biblical worldview, how did your parents teach you to love America? Not just from uh, not just
2: from the scripture, but also from our history. Right. So, for me, what's really important when you look at so remember so I remember I'm coming from my identity matters and it forms this. What my identity says, man is basically evil. So it doesn't matter what government structure you have because man is basically evil. There are often going to be times in history of a certain government where the majority may use that power of the government to involve itself in things that it shouldn't. So what you wanna look for is what are the structures of government that have the best chance to allow the citizens of that country to impart biblical world worldviews. Um, nobody can argue that, other than the system of judges for the Israelites, the United States of, the, of America is the only is the only kind of system that's been created in human history that gives the best chance of that. Yeah. If you read the plain founding documents of the United States of America, there is nothing wrong with them. The fact that laws were passed in the South to discriminate against African Americans, the fact that some of our founding fathers um, bought into one of the greatest lies, um, or some, or not founding fathers because this is before their time, but eventually, lie of racism by some founding fathers, and then later in the eight, uh, 1800s, um, Darwinism. Uh, Part of the reason why I'm so passionate about a biblical worldview and having students in a biblical worldview, and one of the fundamental decisions why my parents had me in an environment where they controlled a biblical worldview, is because they thought it couldn't be healthy to have me in an environment that didn't teach me daily that I was created by God, but rather teach me that I somehow spontaneously evolved from an amoeba, and I appeared before you um, because I was less advanced than you are. That's Darwin's theory of, revolution, of evolution. And so um, if you look at that, the, the plain English in our documents, it's right. The brokenness was the humans that then tried to implement only to a select group of people. Mm-hmm. The concept that all men, are, and which means mankind, are created equal, that comes from the Bible. It was the fallenness of man that said, hey, it only applies to just us. Mm -hmm. And so that failure wasn't the failure of those ideals. That failure was the depravity of man. And then they just used power, or some of them used power to their own disadvantage. And so that's part of the reason why um, I, I don't hate America. I hate sin in my flesh, and I recognize that man kind is most mostly evil. Um, and so we need Jesus to help us to eradicate the mostly evilness of man. But if you look at some of the things that the founders were inspired to do and what they said, the plain clear English is right. They got application wrong, but the plain, the, the plain English that they got right and some of their ideals, we all should want to be a part of.
0: Yeah, and this isn't so much as a, uh, a question as it is a comment. But I've noticed several times the word empathetic, empathetic uh, compassion has come that come out. And I think a lot of you know, recognizing that we're in a, a pretty we're in a new moment in history, aside from the pandemic, but as far as civil rights, social, economic, everything, kind of all wrapped into one. Uh, but that you know we as Christians, it's interesting. It's easy to 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 not see this, but we as Christians, you know, we have compassion. We're empathetic to the drug addict, to the one that is, in gro- that we all would recognize that is gross sin, right? And we have compassion and we have a desire for the gospel, right? To, not just that they would be saved, but they could be disciples, you've mentioned that many times. But I think a lot of times, when we look at others who may have a different political point of view, who may be in a different social, you know, uh, they're their realm or their sphere is a little bit different, we don't always have that compassion, because our experience isn't their experience. So we, we, we a lot of what we do and how we act um, as Christians, even those who are not Christians, is based on our experience. But we tend to just uh, our compassion oftentimes, and this is not blaming this all of us, this is mankind, right? But our, our compassion and our ability to be to empathize with others often is just for the sake of the gospel it's not for a sake of understanding right where someone's experience might have led them and i think that is something that is uh, you know and what you're speaking about is of utmost importance during this time right i, I think you were absolutely blessed you know hearing how you were raised uh, that's awesome that is amazing and i think that's something that we all can strive for but not everybody was raised that way. I think someone said earlier that there are people, this generation being raised to hate America, right? And so if you were raised and instilled with that belief, um, oh, what did you say? You, you're, uh, this person you spend time with was right. very, very liberal. And it takes every bit of, of maybe the price that you are right. able to bear those times. But that that their experience from those around them, and maybe they chose some, them, maybe they didn't have drawn them that way. And so I think of compassion and a ability to empathize goes a long way, not just for the sake of the gospel, but to understand others' experience
5: or where, they're, where they're coming from. I yes? So, like, back to what Pastor Jerry was saying about, like, I've got a lot of friends <laughs> that I went to high school with, and I'm one of those younger men. Uh, we just had a baby, and you know, raising them a family. I went to high school with a lot of guys who really hate America. Because um, all they see is, like, the, they've got the blinders on. All they see is the sin um, that America's done. and <laughs> How do I, as, a, as their friend, like, what's one way, like, I mean, I, that you could give me advice, like, on how to love them and point them? Because some of those guys aren't Christians. So... Speaking to them and saying that, well, this is a sin issue. This is a, an American issue. Like everything from racism to abortion to all these other things. Like, how can I share with them? Like, that this isn't about America. This is about sin. Like, other than just sharing the gospel and being and discipling them because they don't want to engage in those sorts of things as well. Right.
2: Yeah, I think that. um but like, that's the thing, about. like
5: I, I really I, I love America. I mean, my grandpa was a soldier, you know, fought in the Navy and stuff like that and I have a lot of love for who we are as a country, but like they don't see that and they right. don't they don't care. Um but they they just see the sand and that's all they want to see, I feel like. I yeah, you know,
2: know, I think that you ask a good question. I you know, I think obviously uh, being in prayer and discipleship yourself helps because then you can talk through things that you think God's prompting you through. Uh, just like he talked about, I think uh, being available for relationship and discipleship with a couple of those people for the long term. You know, Matthew six thirty three seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things. Other things will be added to you. Uh, you know, with my friend that I'm talking to, you know, part of what I'm doing is I'm studying history, and so I'm I'm acknowledging America's sin, but then I'm also pointing to out to him that just about every other government was just as evil, uh, and so I feel like for a lot of people, and th- this will this will lead them if you study humans and you study human history it should lead you to christ Amen. because all you're going to see <clears throat> is depravity. yeah, yeah. all you're going to see is one race attacking another race and then races in between each other um the um uh, it's fascinating what's going on. i think it's so fascinating some of the things that are going on uh one political or one political party came up with their proposals um They put on kente cloth scarves. I don't know if you, so anyway, it's a scarf that comes from Africa. Um, So they did it to identify with, or what they thought was identifying. And their point was to say, hey, America's bad. We recognize that. We're gonna embrace kente cloth. Fascinating thing, so this this is not from our source. Um, there was a fact check that was done did you know that the kente cloth was worn by one of the larger African American tribes that looked like me that actually captured other African American tribes and then sold them into slavery Oops. <laughs> I, so what? Why, why would I tell my friend that story it's not because I'm trying to po- prove a political point to him I'm trying to point him to Man's sinful. That's it. And man's broken. Yeah. Uh, ben Manis could talk to you. He could provide you some stories as well. You've heard of the movie Hotel Rwanda? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One tribe in Africa killed another tribe. And if they were standing right next to each other, you couldn't tell the difference. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, ben, Hutus and the Tutsis, I can't remember which ones, enacted enact exacted it but I believe Camilla killed two million people. So think about how heinous this is. Not only did they kill two million people, in modern warfare, they chose to use machetes and other objects so that they didn't waste bullets because they felt like those people weren't the value of using bullets and gunpowder. And so for me, I, um, for me, I want to impress on people man is basically evil Mm -hmm. and i think that's where you can start to have some of the conversations you know let's play out their thought experiment let's say you eradicate the united states of america eventually you're going to end up being just like the united states of america and every other government that's corrupted because man's basically evil and so that's what i would try to do is start to connect people with the depravity and failure of man and the fact that there's only ever been one solution to deal with the problem of the depravity of man and that's going to take a while because yeah. of how um, they've been trained and I, I do think it's important for you to that that uh, VeggieTales video is funny what we can learn from veggie like <laughs> i said I don't agree with everything but um he he's got a good laying out of all the laws that were passed to use to discriminate against. Um, Not the Constitution. If you look at the US Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, it's outstanding. It's it's independent states and then the federal government. Um, I imagine some of your friends, they think they're progressives. Talk to them about Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson follows the Coolidge administration and reinstitutes segregation and slavery, essentially slavery. Um, he's part of the Democrat Party, so you make sure to inform him of that. <laughs> uh, but Woodrow Wilson brings uh, a very demeaning video, shows a very demeaning video about African-Americans um, and resegregates the federal workforce. And so I would take him just to the repeated depravity of humans. Um, yeah. I know I keep stressing that, but if if you, you uh, I, I was reading, and I cannot, it was Burke or n- another person. And they said, I can pretty much predict your political ideology by whether or not you believe humans are basically good, or basically evil.
6: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And, and if you think humans can be basically good, you're gonna be prone to think that, well, if we just humans just do something, it's gonna make it better. Mm-hmm. And history shows us
1: that's not the case. So probably we'll probably have time for yep, one more. Hey, Jonathan, yes. uh, a young wise man once said, before the truth sets you free, it tends to make you miserable. Yes. Would you explain that a little bit? Yes,
2: uh, and so I, I you know, heard that from others, and I. we all find, this all happens in our lives. Um, I can remember, so we were talking about here, um, I can remember not long after being married here, um, advisory council, uh, Jerry Wells Gray, they recommended that, A great thing to make sure my marriage had a great foundation was that um, I had mentors to disciple us in our marriage. So you heard that was Ben and Linda Manis. So the first issue that came in our marriage is, I think this is one of the first, was that um, I was still operating my late night activities like I was before I married Christina. Um, So that meant inviting Brandon, Kyle, Luke, Landon—other names you'd never heard of—for very long, engaging nights of fellowship over Xbox <laughs> in our small living room, in our loft apartment, um, newlyweds, newlyweds. So remember, I was talking. Remember, I was talking to you about the depravity of man. Uh, ben Manus shared some truth that tended to make me immediately miserable, which was that um, my number one priority now is not uh, the camaraderie that we experienced at two or three o'clock in the morning playing Halo uh, on Xbox. Uh, So I, I feel like that we should expect that when the truth comes, it's a disinfectant, it's a light um and it tends to make darkness scatter uh, the bible tells us that and so we should expect when particularly when we're looking at the bible and we're looking at the truth it's going to make us miserable but the part that's being made made miserable in us is the sin because mm-hmm. the war just started yeah when the truth comes the reason the truth tends to make us miserable <clears throat> is because our sinful flesh just realized that the war just started mm-hmm. it Prior to, prior to the truth coming, the sinful flesh was running around the battlefield, undeterred. But when the truth comes, automatically uh, the flesh is confronted and it's stopped. And so um, I thank you for the opportunity to speak to you guys today. I'll be around if you want to ask me any other questions. But I can't express um, enough about what an impact we can have individually if we're committed to discipleship ourselves mm-hmm. I and mean, that's the key uh, there's a pastor out of texas and he i think he said something very wise with, um the his the message or theme watermark church as he said races don't reconcile people reconcile right. and mm-hmm. uh, if we want to see real reconciliation that requires us to get involved and carry our, our faith like the bible requires us anyway so thank you and uh uh, really appreciate what you guys are doing here. Thanks. Thank you, John.
6: Well, that was incredible. So, Jonathan in 2004 married Christina Tudor, and then about a year and a half later, I married Rachel Tudor, and that made us brother-in-laws. Uh, but before that, uh, when I was growing up at Western Hills, and Jonathan, Are you 40? Yep. So you're about seven years older than me. Uh, Jonathan was the first man to disciple me Mm -hmm. outside of my father. Mm -hmm. And I remember him picking me up in the probably, what, 84, 85 blue Honda Uh that you had that had almost 300,000 miles on it. Mm -hmm. And we would ride around the city together, and Jonathan would be going around doing things for the church, whether it was... Midnight, the night before VBS, us going around, driving and picking things up and checking out some areas where we were gonna be inviting people or going and uh, serving, setting up a sound system or whatever it was, just spending time in the car together. And every time in those car rides, Jonathan would just be intentional with me to talk. And we would he'd ask me questions about things. He was the first person that asked me to just be honest if I liked Rachel. And I told him first, yes, okay, I like Rachel, fine, I'll tell you. And so um, so uh, he just encouraged that kind of honesty and transparency in my life that shaped my worldviews in incredible ways. And uh, then him becoming my brother-in-law was just incredible. And I just want you to know, the man you just heard is the man that you also hear when you're sitting around the dinner table and you're just hanging out and your kids are around. And it's just part of who he is because <coughs> what he believes is informed by the gospel he's he's found truth in god's word that informs all the other and he he listed so many of them as he went through practical things you know he's the president ocpa Oklahoma council of public affairs the republican think tank in oklahoma and so things coming out of that like a reclaiming biblical family model uh, in our society progress in racial divisions, education reform for the most vulnerable, criminal justice reform, limited government because of the depravity of man, reform in our laws, that laws, and this is what Jack Clay helped us with. If you missed that series, you need to go listen. Laws should protect our God-given liberties, not limit them. Uh, police union reform, reform through removing sentence-enhancing economic reform by not demonizing work, all of those things that he just shared with us are informed by the gospel, uh, meaning when I say gospel, I mean this, I mean the good news of Jesus, the good news that it was God's plan to redeem and rescue sinful man from his depravity and reconcile mankind to himself through the work of Jesus Christ. And that worldview, that that from Genesis to Revelation is what informs these things that Jonathan has learned and. And as he's been discipled and as he's worked with other people, it's that worldview that's informed all that. And I just want us to understand, if we take anything away from this, that that's what we all have to cultivate in our lives. We have to cultivate that worldview. And for me, it's, it's, a, I mean, it's a journey. It's a journey for all of us. I'm still on that journey. Jonathan's still on that journey. Um, but it is something that wouldn't happen apart from the discipleship of other men. The time I spent with my father... time I spent with Jonathan, the time I spent with Luke Hodges, the time I spent with Pastor Jerry, the time I've spent with so many other men that I could go on, the time I've spent with guys like uh, Nathan and John and Chad and Stephen and Justin, and I could just go on Hugh and and just all those things just formulating in my mind, what is a biblical (laughs) worldview, And how do we arrive at the conclusions we have? And like Jonathan said about the truth, how do we shine a light on our opinions that don't agree with that? They don't agree with the gospel. They don't agree with God. And so, you know, i have just, whether it's sitting around a dinner table with our kids around or riding in the car when I'm a teenager or everything that's happened in between, it's come through that discipleship is come through that time we've spent together being willing to ask honest questions and answer them honestly, even when it's painful, and then learning and sharing what we're learning to shape those worldviews. And so I just want to encourage us today um, that the gospel informing your decision-making and your worldview is not something that happens by accident. It's something that you get intentional about. It's something that comes from the investment that other people make, and there aren't any shortcuts for it. And so I just want to encourage all of us to figure out what that looks like in our lives. What does it look like for the gospel to inform my thinking? Instead of, you know, the Bible says that there's three sources for temptation to sin, but it's the world, the flesh, and the devil. Instead of the world informing my opinions, what does it look like for the gospel to inform my... Instead of my flesh, my own desires informing my... What does it look like for the gospel? Or instead of... um, World, flesh, devil, instead of the deceptions of Satan informing and in his lies, like man is basically good. That's one of the massive lies that Satan has got us to buy into. And Jonathan explained really clearly to us where that leads and the wrong direction we go when we buy into that lie. So, learning to shine a light on those things. So, I want to encourage us. Uh, tomorrow is Father's Day, and that's a day that we rally around dads and show <clears throat> appreciation many of you in this room are fathers which gives you a, an additional responsibility for the investment you make in your family and your responsibility to know the gospel and so let's come together tomorrow on Sunday um, let's be here and be a part of encouraging one another if you can if you if you're able you should invite your father to come and be here tomorrow and be part of this time with us uh, or invite your children if you're Uh, If you have adult children, invite them to come and be with us and invest that into your kids. And then when we gather here tomorrow, um, tomorrow I have the opportunity to preach here at Western Hills. And actually, I didn't know exactly what Jonathan was going to be talking about, but this is what God does so often. The whole sermon is how does the gospel inform our lives? How How do we experience the gospel and its power to overcome sin... And to live our lives unto God, how do we do that um, on the daily, uh, on our, in our daily lives? And that's what the message is going to be tomorrow. So if you're still thinking about some of those questions, uh, then tomorrow's message is just going to pick up right where we left off. So I just want to encourage you guys to come and be a part of that. Scott Sanders wants me to encourage you. He would like our men to represent tomorrow. He wants me to encourage you to come here at 930, and he's going to run through a song that he wants all of our men to help sing at the during the worship service, just to come up the front, and we're just gonna sing together on Father's Day, and just lead out that way in our church. So if you can set your alarm and come at nine thirty tomorrow instead of ten, and run through that with Scott, that's gonna happen. Uh, I believe in the parlor at nine thirty. So, so I just wanna um, thank you guys for being here. I wanna thank Jonathan one more time. Can we just express our appreciation one more time?
4: Let me say something real practical to some of these young dads. Um, When I was looking for ways to to train Brandon and my other sons, Mm -hmm. I came to the conclusion that training my firstborn, influencing him was going to be the most effective thing I could do. And Some of those trips, it's okay to use... I paid Jonathan money at times to take my son Brandon to go to places. Yeah. Because I wanted Brandon to have that influence and people thought, you're paying him to get a to get discipled? And yeah, I was, that's what I was <laughs> investing in. And so, it's okay to Timothy Crawford and Kyle and yeah. Philip tank, whatever, because they were gonna spend time with Brandon hoping, and then later giving Brandon money to take his younger brothers to go with him so that he could influence them and so. Yeah. That's a practical step. Let's get it. Cool.
6: Well, thank you guys for coming this morning, and I appreciate Justin Walter and his entire team that worked together. Here. Um, and, uh, for the- <laughs> so if there's any more biscuits over there, we're not going to eat them, mm-hmm. so you guys should take them with you. Justin, is there anything else you'd add here? No,
2: I, I appreciate you guys coming out, and this is what we're going to try to do once a- every other month. Invite your friends. I, I know this morning, in the time we're in, a lot of people don't want to come out, but honoring our speakers by bringing more people is, is the way to do Yeah,
6: absolutely. Well, guys, thank you again, and uh, you're dismissed. Thanks for being here.
0: <laughs> Throw away your trash yes. and move it in your uh, chairs. I yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> can I
4: also <laughs> get a <couple laughs> of guys to sit around? <laughs>